Hey, Tiffany. This is Pat. You look nice. Thank you. I'm not flirting with you. I didn't think you were. Just practicing. Critics are raving. Quote, Silver Linings Playbook is hilarious and heartfelt. I ordered raisin bran because I didn't want there to be any mistaking it for a date. It can still be a date if you order raisin bran. It's not a date. The best movie I've seen this year. I gotta say, I'm impressed. Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper take your breath away. Unquote. Is this the girl you wrote about? You wrote about me? She is my friend with an F. Capital F. For friend. Silver Linings Playbook. Rated R. Again, welcome once more to the Movie for Two podcast. As always, Tim Collins here, and with me is a feisty chick who can also end an on-point sports rant with a cool crack of a beer bottle. Danny Lee, welcome. Oh, yeah. What an entrance. You like that? That was great. <laughs> I was thinking about this, and I was, when she goes on that great rant, which I'll get to a little bit later, I was like, I reckon Danny could do that, and she could tell you all about the Patriots' offensive line, and <laughs> <laughs> you can break down why Tom Brady needs to sort of focus on those sort of short passes because he's a system player that thrives in the Balachek system and all of that. I thought you could go right into that. Yeah, that. I could definitely do that. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to be able to do that. I should learn this monologue. It would be great. I think you could do a little uh, impression of Jennifer Lawrence. I think you could do that really well. <laughs> Thank you. So Silver Linings Playbook. I think this is underrated. This is a mm. really, really good movie. I've got a few points about this that I want to get into. I think this might be one of the best movies in quite a while. Ooh, big call. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's get into it. Yeah. Silver Linings Playbook was released in Australia on the 31st of January 2013. This is a movie about a guy, Pat Solitano, who returns to live with his parents while attempting to piece back his life following a stint in a mental hospital. His plans for piecing back together his life change drastically when he meets Tiffany, a girl who's as complicated as he is. This stars Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence and Robert De Niro. This movie was directed by David O. Russell, who'd been known for Three Kings and The Fighter prior to this, and then who went on to work with Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence again in things like American Hustle and Serena. Mm. This movie had a budget of $21 million, which is pretty small, and made 236 This is a huge success, Jeez. this one. Awards. Let me just list these out. <laughs> You'll be here for a while. So, at the Oscars, Best Actress for Jennifer Lawrence, and then nominations for Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, <laughs> Best Director, Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. Oof, That's a wow. decent list. Who's the Best Supporting Actress? Jackie Weaver? Yep. Yeah, okay. This has an IMDb score of 7.7 out of 10, which I actually think is almost a little low. I think that undersells it a bit. And Danny, Jennifer Lawrence in this is unbelievable. Oh my God, she really is. And let me take you on a journey to a galaxy a long, long time ago. Wow. Where there was only one Hunger Games movie. Yeah. So throwback. We've just seen Katniss Everdeen for the first time on the big screen. She doesn't really say much. Only if she has to, she speaks. And then we see Jennifer Lawrence do this and she just blows everybody away. Particularly she- because like she's quite vacant in the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. There's not, you know, there's not really a lot of substance to her character in a lot of ways. She you, you feel like you barely know her character. She's just sort of one of these very distant sort of people. Things happen to her yeah. rather than her causing things. Yeah. And then in this, she's just so real. Yeah, she really is. And she just has no filter. So yeah, she wins the Academy Award, as you say, and we're going, shit, we have a superstar absolutely on our hands 
In 2015, she's the highest paid actress in the world. Mm-hmm. 2016, she's again the highest paid actress in the world. But in between those two things, she finds out that she haven't, hasn't even been paid what she deserved to be paid. Because there's the Sony hack where she finds out that for American Hustle, the deals for percentage of profits, uh, the director gets 9%, Cooper gets 9%, Bale gets 9%, Renner gets 9%, Lawrence and Adams get 7%. Oh, wow. So that got leaked. She wrote a letter on Lenny Letters, which is uh, Lena Dunham's website. And she basically is like, people look, you know, I told you it's not really relatable. Don't hate me for, you know, talking about my millions of dollars in here. But she's basically like, I'm not angry at Sony. I'm angry at myself for not fighting hard enough. But I didn't think it was worth fighting over a few million dollars. She's already the highest paid actress in the world. And she could have been getting more money because she was just such a bankable star. Unbelievable actress. She sort of had a bit of a sort of, Kind of a strange journey since then. Yeah. Like you, you mentioned about that and like at one point, like I think she was indisputably the number one actress going around, sort of not sort of held on to that title. Well, she's done it. I mean, she did the other three Hunger Games, American Hustle, Joy, Serena. Well, a lot of those were David O. Russell, uh, Red Sparrow. She's done Mother. Like she's done, she's done a lot consistently. Yeah, I think the likes of Emma Stone and Margot Robbie might have gone past her at the minute, just right now at least. Yeah, she has fallen out of that. I think she's not doing as much now, but I guess she's maybe doing projects that she enjoys more, maybe. I'm not sure because, I mean, the other thing is you could look back and say that this role is kind of just her playing herself but a little bit more manic Yeah, because this is kind of a reflection of who she is as a person in a lot of ways or what we see her as. And she definitely rubs people up the wrong way sometimes and looks like she's maybe a bit too cool for Hollywood. But this movie, I just absolutely love her energy. I think that this movie is on its way to becoming a true classic. Mm. Now, this movie is only seven years old, I think. I think I said, yeah, 2013, so that makes it seven years old. I think that this is one of those movies that comes along from time to time where everything gels and it's like there's a real sense of timing about it and everything just works. So you get a great script. You get two actors that are on the way up. So at this stage, as you mentioned before, Jennifer Lawrence is just sort of taking off at this point. Bradley Cooper sort of was as well. Bradley Cooper in 2013 wasn't the Bradley Cooper that we saw in A Star Is Born five years later. He did a lot around that 2011-2012, a lot. Yeah, and so he's sort of coming up at the same time and these sort of two actors meet and are just brilliant together. And then they're paired with like an absolute icon in De Niro. Mm, yes. And I just think that the way that that all comes together, you just get this sort of melting pot of just these, all these great qualities and you get this movie that's just, just incredible for it. I was thinking about this, right? And I was like, is this the 21st century version of When Harry Met Sally? Ooh. Oh, I mean, there's some great chemistry. So you've got really sharp dialogue. You've got genuinely interesting and some well-developed characters and they're all playing to a sort of a familiar template but one that's very satisfying. Yeah, there's still the like the chase after you at the end to tell you and confess you my love and oh yeah, maybe. It's a bit grittier. It's a little bit darker. It definitely is because it's got some undertones of mental health and and all that sort of stuff. But I was thinking and I was like, I reckon in 20 years' time, yeah. this movie holds up and you can go back and watch it in the same way that you can go back and watch When Harry Met Sally. That's a great call. I like that. I'm going to be with you on that. Thank mm. you. I'm pretty proud of that one. <laughs> so, Danny, what about this movie for you makes it a movie for two? Oh, this movie, I can't believe they made a movie that is about mental illness that is this funny and this fun and still totally relatable for everyone to watch. Yep. 
Because uh, when I was doing a bit of research, I found out that David O. Russell's son, Matthew, has bipolar disorder. So this really resonated with him when he um, – because this is based off a book as well. Mm-hmm. So when he read the book, he sort of could relate to all the issues. Robert De Niro also felt really personally connected with the characters going through this. So it definitely seems like something that was created by people that wanted to get a message across – to other people like them that be like, you're not alone in going through this stuff. So yeah. it just really connects a big group of people that have otherwise felt really isolated. Because if you're going through a lot of this stuff, you can feel like you're completely on your own. I think the thing that for this that connects a lot of people and what makes this a movie for two is the sheer depth of the characters that makes this so really, really engrossing and, and pretty charming as well by the end of it too. So you've got Bradley Cooper as Pat. He's bipolar. He's a guy with a restraining order against him from his wife. (laughs) He's prone to outbursts and violence and impulsiveness, but he's trying like hell to be better than that, and he believes in hard work and redemption and fate and all of that despite his flaws. That's a pretty complex character. Then you've got Jennifer Lawrence's Tiffany, and she's a young widow. She's viewed by the community around her as a slut, and in a way she kind of agrees with that view of her. She despises like the empty consumerism of her sister, but at the same time, she's sort of looking for a sort of sense of sort of traditional stability in a way at the same time. Like she's feisty and she's gentle, like she seems pretty ferocious, but she needs some support and some protection as well. And then you've got De Niro as, as Pat's dad. And he carries that same sort of streak of violence that his son's got. That's OCD as well. Yeah, but like the years have made him a little bit softer. He he loves his family but doesn't really know how to communicate or sort of connect with them in certain ways. And he sort of does that through football and it's sort of like, you know, that's his love but it also tortures him because he's obsessed with the Philadelphia Eagles. (laughs) For our Australian audience, the Philadelphia Eagles are probably a little bit like Richmond in the sense that before Richmond got good, that they basically tortured their own fan base over and over and over again. <laughs> That's kind of what Philadelphia have been like for a long, long time until they won a Super Bowl most recently. We sort of damn them. Yeah. But so I thought that for De Niro, that's an uncommon role. You think of him as this really domineering character in a lot of things. You think Goodfellas, you think Heat, all those sorts of things. That's, that's nothing like this. Actually, as a side point to that, I thought that in a way, the character that he is in this almost is sort of a little bit of what he is in The Irishman at the end. Yes. Yeah, that's a, a really good connection. There's some similarities there. But I think ultimately the complexity and the depth of these characters is what makes this movie so enthralling. And it's what makes it a movie for two because I think that anyone can get into a depth of character regardless of the genre or the subject matter. I think that if you've got that, people can be like, yeah, I'm into this. Mm. And I think that that's why anyone can sit down and watch this and really enjoy it. Yeah. Another quote I read was uh, David O. Russell said, Life is sad and funny. That's why it works. Yeah. Which just sums it up so well. That's nice. It's perfect, which leads us into our first segment, which is Perfection Imperfection, where we we start with perfection, where we pick out something that for one reason or another was perfect in the movie. Do you want to start? I can start. Go on. Sure thing. Uh, so I think something that's absolutely perfect about this is that both of the main characters appear to have absolutely no problem with honesty. Yeah. Because they have no filter. That's nice. And they both say or act exactly how they feel impulsively, (laughs) for better or worse. And I think a lot of that comes down to, I mean, obviously the script, but also Jennifer Lawrence is so young in this that she kind of has no fear. Yeah, she's what, like 23? I think she's 22. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think, I think she almost didn't get the part because they thought that she was too young, but she is able to act older than her years 
actually are and she's wise and she's actually the one that is more confident in being herself than Pat is, which is a great character. And that's the thing about I had one of these points and I had it a little bit further down my list, but I think that a genuinely developed female character mm. is something that you don't come along all the yes. time. You know, we discussed on one of our recent episodes in Baby Driver where uh, Darlin, played by Aza Gonzalez, basically is a non-character. She's a character in the movie yeah. without an actual personality. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but in this, like, you've got a properly developed character who's not depicted as, like, a nag. I hate. Yeah. I, I hate the like the the character that's the, the, that kills all, the movie. You see it all the time. I hate that. Or she's not depicted as high maintenance or superficial. She's not there as just candy for it. She's like she's real and she's human. She's got opinions and flaws and a troubled story. You know, I think that that's it, it. Really adds to it. You know, I think that one of the best bits is when they're in the diner when they're sort of on a date that's not meant to be a date. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and Bradley Cooper as Pat is starting to sort of be like, you know, they're comparing sort of, you know, where they're at and, and that sort of thing. And then Bradley Cooper's like, oh, you know, but I'm not like you. Yes. And then she goes on this, bang, this explosion. You know what? Forget I offered to help you. Forget the entire fucking idea. Because that must have been fucking crazy. Because I am so much crazier than you. Keep your voice down. I'm just the crazy slut with a dead husband. <laughs> Forget it. Shut the fuck up. You shut Tiffany. Up. Hey, Tiffany. And there's so much anger and aggression and personality in that. She's like, it's an incredible character. Yeah, it really is. And there's, you never really get an explanation for what her mental health condition is, but it, it obviously has a lot to do with those explosions and everything. And she plays it so well. It doesn't matter that you know exactly what's going on. You just know that she's clearly had some problems and she's going through some shit, but she's really open to admitting that and trying her hardest to work through it. Just the same way Pat is, but they're doing it in two very different ways. Well, that's one of the other points that I had, which straight off the back of that is that I like the way that this movie, it doesn't show the descent of these characters it basically just shows you what's left after that. Yes. And I think that's it's a really interesting perspective. You don't – in so many movies, you sort of see that sort of someone rise in, in whatever way that they're rising and then maybe you see them crash and there's a bit of a redemption at the end or something like that. Mm. This doesn't. This shows you basically the aftermath of the carnage and starts from there. And I think that there's an interesting way that that shows sort of this sort of pursuit or this looking for small gains wherever they're possible and basically just a sort of fight for survival on a sort of on on some sort of level and I think that's quite interesting and quite unique. Yeah. Part of that I have a bit of an imperfection point on that he's manic, Pat is manic and bipolar, but you never see the depression side of it. It's all up 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 and then he kind of dips down but you never see the deepest darkest part. Of that illness. You do when you, when you see he gets in the, the fight with his dad. Yeah, but that's the manic part. Yeah, that's okay. when you're going mad and you're just overreacting to everything and stressed out. There's the really dark, you know, depressed side as well. So you don't get to see that. Before we get to imperfection, yes. give me another perfection point. More. Yes. Um, oh God, you could just talk about Tiffany's character for so long. Because I also think that she's she's confident, not in a sexy way. You know what I mean? There's like the confident character a lot of the time, but they're just confident because they look hot. And yes, she's obviously very attractive, but that's not the main reason that you see her as confident. And Pat thinks that he needs to change himself so that someone will love him, whereas Tiffany owns her flaws. And that speech that she gives about 
There's always going to be a part of me that's sloppy and dirty, but I like that. With all the other parts of myself, can you say the same about yourself, fucker? Yeah, and he really can't match her with that. Yeah. She's owning who she is and what she stands for and doesn't need to change for anybody. She just wants someone to love her for herself. One of the other things that that I had that I thought was interesting was the very uncommon depiction of what I would call real America. It's so often in Hollywood movies, we see America pictured as this almost this fantasy land, you know, in, <laughs> yeah, in so many ways. Playground. Or even if you see sort of like a gritty element of it, it's always done through sort of a little bit of a glamorization of crime and, and all that sort of stuff. This isn't, I think that there is a real depiction of a proper real world, particularly as a suburban world, which is, it's a very cold lens that this is shot through. It's cloudy all the time. <laughs> There's sort of a feeling of sort of anxiety and suburban nothingness and troubled families and daily pressures. This feels like everyday America with everyday American problems for real people in a way that's pretty uncommon for American movies. Yeah, I think this director's made a real effort to do that because this uh, the fighter as well, kind of the same working class background. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, mm. good point. Something else that I have, I love the moment that you know that he's falling for her when Pat's falling for Tiffany. When do you think it is? When she's getting undressed. But not you don't know it just because he's staring at her getting undressed. You see that he's looking at her and he's looking exactly past that letter that's sitting on the staircase there. So he's literally looking past his letter to Nikki, Nikki to see Tiffany and that's his future. It's just a little nice touch. I like it. Speaking of Nikki, I like the the way that the device that the movie uses of never really introducing her. And she comes yeah. in at the end and I don't really like it when she actually does come in. But I think the way that they never introduce her properly, I think it helps to accentuate the sort of sense of his bipolar and his mental demons and his battle with perception and reality. Yeah. If she was in there, I think there, there there's a significantly sort of uh, – that feeling or that sense of the, his struggle is dampened and weakened. That's a really good point. Whereas I think with her not there, you almost sort of experience his paranoia. Mm. Yeah, even at the dance, they could have just kind of kept her sort of hidden behind other characters or something so you can just see that they're obviously she's there but she's not an actual main figure. That's a really good point. And one of the other things that I had for perfection and me being a, a, a sports nut, obviously I had to get something in there. <laughs> Just the power of sport for everyday people. So Pat's dad used it as as a way to basically connect with his son, you know, for Pat's doctor. It's yeah. a release, you know, he sees the doctor there. So good. I think there's a, there's that great moment when they're at the Eagles game and, and Pat sees it, sees the doctor and he introduces him to his mate Jake. And he goes, look, two things. We've got to watch that bubble screen for fucking Manning in the backfield and we got to make sure we knock the receivers off their ass on the line of scrimmage. And then his doctor looks at him and goes, you can say that again, those cocksuckers! <laughs> That's so good. I just love the way that this movie uses sport and shows it as a way that, you know, for people that are really struggling and for people that have got a lot of other issues going on and are battling with a lot of stuff, sport can be a common ground and I think they do it really well. Yeah, I really want to go to a tailgate party now. <laughs> I have one last point on perfection and it actually ties in with that well. So I think that the whole blind faith thing is really big in this because you've got Pat's dad who's OCD and thinks that if you sit in the chair correctly and hold a handkerchief in this hand and the remote in this hand, we're going to win the game. Like this superstition and it's just believing in something that you actually have no control over and then Pat, Junior, they're both called Pat, aren't they? Um, 
his faith in getting better without his medication just by thinking that he'll be better. Yeah. He's like, if I just stay positive, I'll be fine. And, you know, yes, staying positive is obviously a good thing, but you can't just will yourself to be better. You have to work and sometimes medication is actually what you need. Because he's got that great quote where he says that if you just keep working and keep working and stay positive, you've got a shot at a silver lining. Yeah, and it's good to have a positive attitude, but you can't then just go and spit your medication out that has been prescribed to you by many doctors and think that it's just going to, oh, yeah, I'm just going to will myself to be better. My final part of, of perfection is also another quote. And it's just the last bit of narration. The world will break your heart ten ways to Sunday, that's guaranteed. And I can't begin to explain that. Or the craziness inside myself and everybody else, but guess what? Sunday is my favorite day again. I think of everything everyone did for me, and I feel like a very lucky guy. So beautiful. I love it. Mm, We need to do a sports movie, don't we? We Like a proper sports movie. Right, before we get to imperfection, time for a quick break. Hey guys, just a quick break to tell you about a special event we're planning here at the Movie for Two podcast. It goes a little something like... You know, you might have heard of it. James Bond, sound familiar? Well, we're going to be doing James Bond Week. The fifth and final Bond with Daniel Craig comes to cinemas in Australia on April 8th this year. And we're going to dive into the world of 007 like no other podcast. We're going to hit Casino Royale first, then follow up with Skyfall. And then we have a special podcast episode for the new one, No Time to Die, where we'll be joined by a special guest, Aussie cinema buff Nick Labarro. To stay up to date with that and everything we're doing for our ultra-creatively labelled Bond Week, head over to Instagram and follow us at Moving for Two Podcast, where we'll be updating everyone about our first ever special event and, well, everything else we do too. That's at Movie for Two Podcast, all one word. Right, that's all for now. Back to Silver Linings. Right, we're back. Time for Imperfection, where we pick out things that, for one reason or another, were not so perfect. Can I start with this one? Yeah. So... I couldn't quite tell who was more into Jennifer Lawrence. Was it the director or those operating the cameras? <laughs> there is a lot of close-ups of Jennifer Lawrence doing exercise. Uh huh. Uh huh. The the way that she shot mm. is she shot by either a director or a, a camera operator who's totally infatuated with her <laughs> in a slightly uncomfortable way. I do not blame them. <laughs> I was like watching it being like, it's just starting to get a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> I didn't notice it, but when I was doing some research, I did see that David O. Russell was like, I don't know if it was him that said it or if it was a um, someone who was reviewing the movie that was basically like, whenever they were at a loss for something to do or say, they just turned the camera on Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really funny that you picked up on that too. <laughs> what have you got for imperfection? A really random point. But why are they always in the middle of a road? Yeah, it's a good question. When they're going running, why don't they run on the footpath? Yes. Yeah. Always in the middle of a road. And even not just, like, they're not even crossing a road. They then just, yeah, they're always in the middle of a road. I'm amazed that there's no cars anywhere. His garbage bag is brilliant, though. I do love that. So I have a couple of little <laughs> things like that that I just want to sort of pick at. Uh-huh. The movie continually references him as being in much better shape now, suggesting that he was fat earlier. But when you get that sort of flashback to the scene where he finds his wife, Nikki, cheating, he's not fat at all. He's exactly like him. They keep referring to him. He's like, you're in much better shape. But when they flash back to him, he's in the same shape. I should have just put a fat suit on him. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, "Uh, missed on that. Good pickup. 
I was really annoyed at the dad's friend who just keeps taking bloody money from him. Do you really have a mate who's willing to let you bet your whole life's dream of opening a Philly cheesesteak place or whatever he's going to open and just you just take it? He's and a he, Giants fan. Nah. But he's – no, he's a Dallas fan. Oh, yeah, no, that's right. He backs mm. – yeah, even worse. Yes. Yeah. He oh, – he's so happy about taking his money. It's yeah. just cruel. Yeah. He's actually really not a nice guy. No. <laughs> you know? He's and meant he keeps, to be his mate. <laughs> yeah, and he keeps going in there and eating all his food and drinking his beer. Anyway. <laughs> One of the other things that I had was uh, at the beginning where uh, Pat is reading Hemingway uh, in the room <laughs> and then he's sort of like he's not pleased with it and he throws the book out the window. I love that. But it smashes the window. How many small books can smash a window? <laughs> It's a hardback. It probably could. I'm sorry. That's that's not happening. Maybe there's no double glazing. I don't know. Does that make it thicker? No, I'm not having it. <laughs> I love that bit. I'm not going to argue with that bit. What else have you got? I'm really torn about the uh, the classic run after the love of your life and finally confess how you feel scene. Yeah. My final point that I've literally got written in front of me here <laughs> is the ending. <laughs> what have you got? What do you reckon? Well, that bit, it could have been worse. Because I can imagine if they're dancing at the end, and I do love the little bit, they they scream when they get five as a score and everyone's like, what the? (laughs) I think it's a really good reaction that they have. I also just think, though, that just on that, Mm. the competition thing, I've got this thing with movies that finish with competitions. (laughs) Do you know? It's like, uh, Or a bet. It's finishing on a bet. Yeah. Yeah. uh. I just think it could have been worse if they did that competition and then they stare into each other's eyes and then they kiss because they're like, oh, we've just danced together and now we're going to kiss. That could have been worse, but I don't know how it could have been better. So I was thinking about this and it's like I just don't know that it needs to end with them finally getting together. Mm. And I know that from a you know sort of romantic sort of element, they probably need to bring that in to be pleasing to the widest amount of audience that they can get. I understand that. But I really felt that it could have finished at the point where he goes to her dance studio for the final time mm. and they kind of consolidate the idea of him committing to what he started and focusing on small gains and their and their bond together and the way that they're working through their struggles. And I think that would have been a nice point to finish on. Then when he does do the whole run after a thing at the end and he, he mentions like, I was trying to be romantic – all of a sudden he's got this charm that yeah. he has not had for the rest of the movie. Uh-huh. He's not a charming guy. He's a bit <laughs> of a he's a bit as you said before, he's a bit manic, he's bipolar, he's very anxious and uptight, highly strung. He's not a charming sort of romantic guy at any point. And then he sort of transitions into like hangover Bradley Cooper for a sec where it's like <laughs> this really charming guy on the screen. I'm like, no, I'm not buying not that. Buying that nah. at all. Yeah, I don't buy that he's I'm in, I'm in love with you and I have been since I ever met you. It's like just be friend, like just like have love for each other or really like each other but don't be like, yeah, we're going to end up, yeah. I'm glad we agree on that. Yeah. And I actually had another point about the ending that – I think that's something that other people find an imperfection because other people think that the ending is saying that love cures all, basically. By them ending up together, you're being like, oh, they're fixed now. And I don't think it's saying that at all. I think that's assuming way too much. It's just saying that these people need each other because they accept each other for who they are and they're better off together. So you're addressing an imperfection of others. Yes. Nice. I'm anticipating. This is the take on the take. (laughs) 
Oh, no, that's bad. Don't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on to our next segment, which is Lingo Bingo, which is all about language, where we've got to hit three things for bingo, which is killer dialogue, lovable jargon, and lines and phrases that have entered everyday language. Killer dialogue, do you want to start? Yeah, there's so much of this. Go on. Well, a really little one. It's like when they first meet, when Pat and Tiffany first meet, Pat says, you look nice. Thank you. Oh, I'm not flirting with you. Oh, I didn't think you were. I just see that you made an effort. I'm going to be better with my wife. I'm working on that. I want to acknowledge her beauty. I never used to do that. I do now. Just practicing. How'd Tommy die? (laughs) What the hell? Who is this guy? And then there's that in that same scene because that's when they're at dinner. Yeah. In that same scene where he says something like, you have poor social skills. (laughs) Or does she say that to him? It's one or the other. But it's like there's an abruptness about it. And then she also says to him later on in the movie, she's like, you say more inappropriate things than appropriate things. No, that's the whole scene. So there's the bit where they're at the dinner table and they're talking about what medication they're on. And it's like, what meds are you on? None. I was on this. I was on that. And then when Tiffany decides she wants to leave, Pat says, you have poor social skills. You have a problem. I have a problem. You say more inappropriate things than appropriate things. I tell the truth. You're mean. (laughs) I love that dialogue. It's really snappy as well. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. It's it's really short, punchy sentences. Yeah. It's really good. And because he has no filter, you just hear exactly what he's thinking at all moments of the day. So my favourite is the bit that I was referencing when we first started this podcast about the sports rant that she goes on. And he's been at the Eagles game. He gets in the punch on. He's bailed on his commitment to her and and, and all of that. And they're back at the house. And uh, and and the dad, De Niro, is sort of pissed off that, you know, all of the little things that he's superstitious about, you know, he's like, oh, you know, it's your fault. It's your fault. He's calling him a loser. I'm like, ouch. And then Tiffany goes, you think I fucked up the Eagles juju, don't you? I'm the reason why today happened, huh? Let's talk about that. The first night that Pat and I met at my sister's, the Eagles beat the 49ers handily, 40 to 26. The second time we got together, we went for a run and the Phillies beat the Dodgers 7 to 5 in the NLCS. The next time we went for a run, the Eagles beat the Falcons 27 to 14. The third time we got together, we had Raisin Brand in the diner and the Phillies dominated Tampa Bay in the fourth game of the World Series, 10 to 2. Well, what don't you think about when the Eagles beat the Seahawks, 14 to 7? He was with me. We went for a run. There have been no games since Pat and I have been rehearsing every day. And if Pat had been with me like he was supposed to, he wouldn't have gotten in a fight. He wouldn't have been in trouble. Maybe the Eagles beat the New York Giants. Does anybody here happen to know what the official motto of the state of New York is? Huh? Anybody? Do you know? Huh? Anybody? Do you? Do you know? No. No. Excelsior. Look it up. Really? What? Yeah. Excelsior. Oh, Pat. Not that I give a fuck about football or about your superstitions, but if it's me reading the signs, I don't send the Eagles guy whose personal motto is Excelsior to a fucking Giants game, especially when he's already in a legal situation. Unbelievable. Wow. This is unbelievable. How did you know all that stuff? I did my research. Is that the point at which she goes, I'm Tiffany, by the way? <laughs> and then I absolutely love because then Pat's dad then goes, well, i got to say, I'm impressed. I've got to rethink this whole thing. I didn't trust it before, but I'm like, i got to now. And Pat goes, oh, now you're like her dad. And he goes, I have to say I do. Yep. <laughs> Best scene in the whole movie. I reckon that's one of my favourite scenes of all time in any movie. It's just so great. Her monologue, the way that she proves this like epic knowledge of sports and all of that and pr- sort of disproves these ideas about her is so good. And then the way that De Niro is just like, yep, I like her now. <laughs> 
so good. <laughs> Everything I believed in has gone out the window. So that gets us for killer dialogue, definitely. Plenty. Yeah, we can tick that box. Moving on to lovable jargon, and we definitely hit here too. Yeah. I made a little list, and it's particularly because this is the Philadelphia Eagles are such a central part of this. There's so much sports chat. So obviously there's juju. There's also (laughs) bubble screens, downfield, line of scrimmage, division, playoffs. Those things, not quite as jargony, but for a movie, I think that they are. Mm. Have you got anything else that qualifies? Uh, Parlay. Yeah. Because do you know how I wrote that in my notes? How? (laughs) Like the French past participle (laughs) for spoke. I had no idea. I was like, yeah, that thing. (laughs) Which is obviously the word for multi. Mm, Yes, a bit. The American version of the word multi. Also the drugs, I guess, like the the medications that they're on. That could be counted as jargon. I think so. Because there's Effexor, Clonopin, Trazodone, Seroquel, Abilify, you get the picture. I think that in a, (laughs) particularly in a movie, I think that when you get into sort of, we've spoken a bit before about this being sort of the nitty gritty of something. Mm. I think that all of this stuff that we're talking about here counts. So we get lovable jargon, which means that we're on two out of three looking at bingo. (laughs) No. No, no, <laughs> we don't, do we? I was really trying. I was sort of like looking through things, and I was like, "Oh, does the sports round kind of get it?" I was no, like, "No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Definitely not." <laughs> <laughs> We're going to address this thing yeah, at some point. We We're going to get another lingo bingo. We did get one for Snatch, so we yeah. get a hold out hope because you know there's some <laughs> other good movies that we've got coming up. So. We're going to be okay. Moving on to our next segment, which is... Name that bitch. So quick explanation on this one. Go on, Danny. This is from an episode of How Much Your Mother where Lily points to a photograph uh, points to a photograph, and asks Ted to name that bitch that he brought to a group event and never saw again. So we essentially pick out someone that's a little bit obscure from the movie and basically ask, you know, do you know who they are and what it is that they've been in? This one's a little bit of a tricky movie for this, I must mm. say. Can I start? Yeah. So... I went with – it's one that's not so obscure and the person is relatively well-known, yeah. but it's more just that I wanted to see if you could pick the particular thing that I was thinking of. Okay. So it's Randy, the mate. He does look familiar because he looks – he's kind of generic old guy-ish. <laughs> but I have no idea what he's in. So that's Paul Herman mm. and he's been in – a lot of De Niro stuff. He's been in. He Heat, was in the Irishman. Heat and Casino and Goodfellas, the Irishman. Yeah. But I think that the one that you'll recognise him most from, he's Beansy from The Sopranos. He's also Marvin in Entourage. Oh wow! He, what a gangsters. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't have the same one for this. Who have you got? Uh, do you know who the therapist is? So the doctor. Doctor Cliff Patel. So, I know I looked this up mm. and I must say I, was, I didn't go right through his IMDb. I did notice, though, that, you know, and I don't want to be, you know, someone that sort of jumps on sort of stereotypes of nationality and that sort of thing, but he did star in an MS Dhoni movie. And MS Dhoni is the one of the most famous Indian cricketers. <laughs> I think he has his own talk show. Right, okay. But he's in something we've seen a couple of times. Oh. No, what is it? He's Kumal's dad in The Big Sick. Oh. Yeah. That's good because we've, you know, that's a movie that we want to cover on this podcast. Definitely. At some point we'll be covering that. That's a nice one. I like that. Yeah. He's not that obscure in the movie, but I thought, oh, he looks familiar. He looks like he's been in something recent. So, yeah. Well, it's because this movie has got three big headliners yeah. and then it's so, it's so centred on them and then mm. outside that. It's got some relatively notable actors, but, yeah, it's it's not the easiest one 
for this particular segment. Another little thing that does fit into this segment is that the, you know, the kid who keeps coming up with, to the door with the microphone and says, can I interview you for my mental health uh, project? Yep. That's the director's son who does have bipolar and he's an actor. Yeah, so they've sort of managed to get a bit of a real-world feel into yeah, the, that whole thing. That's nice. really nice. Moving on to our next segment, which is who could you be mates with? So if you got someone out of this movie and plonked them in your real life, who mm. would you want to hang around, Danny? I'm cheating and I'm saying Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> You're so dying to be Jennifer Lawrence's mate. I am. It would be great fun. Oh, we'd go out in the town. We'd go for dinner. God, we'd party. Yep. I want to be Jennifer Lawrence's friend. So I went with Pat's dad, De Niro. Course, De Niro or Pat's dad? <laughs> well, Pat Senior. I'd love to have, be mates with De Niro as well. But <laughs> Pat Senior but you didn't from cheat the, like me. Yeah. Pat Senior from the movie. Mm. So, because I think that only a tortured sports fan can really understand him. I'm an Arsenal fan and I'm a <laughs> Melbourne fan, and both of those teams have put me through the absolute ringer over the last ten years. <laughs> and only. St- Tortured sports fans can really understand all of those superstitions and that that he goes through and the the feeling of like, oh, this has all got to line up and if this happens, it's all stuffed and all of that. I can imagine him and I sitting there being like really fussy about like which direction that like the table was (laughs) facing and like whether or not the volume was on an even number or an odd number, all of that sort of stuff. Me and him would really bond over that stuff. (laughs) I was always the sucker in my family that had to wear the jersey and if they started losing, I would have to go and take the jersey off and put something else on until they started winning again and there was always there was always a superstition about whether I was wearing the jersey or not. I mean, your team's won that many flags. I've got no, <laughs> no sympathy for you whatsoever. <laughs> Moving on to our final segment, which is prequel, sequel or spin-off. So if you could, you know, see one of these come along or if you could pitch one, what mm. would you want to see? I'd want to see a spin-off with Dr. Patel. Wow. Because he seems he's obviously got a very cool social life and he's a massive Philly fan. So I want to see like that makeup that he's got on. That's intense. Yeah. That's commitment. So I want to see that side. But then also he's kind of a blase therapist. You know, he's pretty – I'm just going to tell you how it is. So I'd like to see both sides of that. Interesting. I went with a prequel, which is the first time I've done this. Oh. I've done a lot of spin-offs in this in this segment. I've done a couple of sequels, I think. Haven't done a prequel until now. Prequels don't usually work because you're like, well, that's jumping in at the right point. But okay, interesting. So I went with a prequel as an getting again with getting back to Pat's dad. I think that seeing his backstory, because obviously he's got that same violent streak, but I think seeing him as a bit of a rogue unit going to the Eagles games in the 70s and 80s, which the movie then alludes to that he's been banned from because of violence, I think that that could actually be really interesting. Obviously, I love a sports movie, but I think it could be quite interesting in the way that explores sort of ideas as sports fandom as both an escape and a vice Mm. and the ways that that environment – can pose challenges to your growth outside that environment because we know that those sort of environments, you can kind of get drawn back into sort of being this sort of old version of yourself in a lot of ways. And then you sort of step away from that and you sort of maybe try and progress in in various things that you're doing. But then when you go back to it, you often go back to sort of being that old self, that that old person that you were. I think that actually could be a pretty interesting movie. And now they've got CGI so they can make De Niro young again. Yeah, they could you know, <laughs> get Scorsese on it. He can whip out the, the, the de-aging stuff. Yeah. Yeah, he can look 34 again. <laughs> Having fights like a young man. <laughs> M- Martin, I'm going to give you a call tomorrow and we're going to discuss this concept. <laughs> I like that idea. I'd watch that. I'm on a first name basis with Scorsese. Just, you know, just, just thought I'd you let are. you know. <laughs> Danny, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you. This is-
just been fun. <laughs> we'll be back again midway through this week with another episode. Until then, give us a follow on Instagram at Movie for Two Podcast and leave us a rating and a review on Apple. That's all for now. You've been listening to the Movie for Two Podcast. Catch you on the next one. Bye.